0: To the official podcast of the Mission Redlands, we are a growing community living out God's radical love.
1: So today, we're going to jump right into the Word of God. We're not going to no messing around today. We're jumping right in. Okay. So um, uh, the Word of the Lord is like a lamp to our feet in the darkness. It's it's sharper than any two-edged sword and nothing can be added to it because it's God's perfect Word for us. And I believe He has a unique Word for you today. So let's settle in. Let's take a deep breath. Open our minds and hearts to what the Lord has to say today. Today I want to share with you an account of some people from the book of 1 Samuel. These people are named Hannah and Samuel and a priest named Eli and two sons of Eli. Eli was the fourth youngest son of Aaron, which was the first high priest in the Bible and and, uh, and compadre of Moses, right? And, And Eli... Had carried on his father's tradition of what, uh, of 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 being a priest, and he was the high priest in a city called Shiloh, and uh, Shiloh was a major center of Israelite worship before the temple was built in Jerusalem, and so Eli was. It was kind of a big deal, right? He was a big deal. But Eli had one major weakness, and maybe some of you can can relate to it, but uh, he had one major weakness, and that was his kids. His kids were his weakness. Anybody got a weakness for their kids? Like, right? And and (laughs) he had one major weakness, and and it was his kids. And I'm sure, like, there are many of us that can relate to that. But Eli had two sons named Hophni and Feinhas. And and they were priests too, actually. But the Bible actually goes as far to call them worthless men, worthless men. Like that's some strong words for the Bible. And and they were not uh, the kind of priests you wanted to deal with. In fact, Hofne and Finhas didn't didn't know the word. They didn't know the Lord at all, actually, or, or respect him in, in any way like a normal, God-fearing man should, much less a priest. The Bible tells us that when people would come to make sacrifices to the Lord, which is the way people used to atone for their sins before Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice, that the sons of Eli would take all the choice meat from the people's sacrifices, even the parts that the Holy Scriptures specifically indicated belonged to God and were to be burnt. And and, and this may not sound like a big deal to us today, but it was. It was essentially stealing what people had worked so hard for, and they had brought it before the priests for the purpose of honoring God rightly, but Eli's sons would take the best parts of those sacrifices for themselves. And the sons didn't just stop there, no, they, they would sleep with the women who were dedicated to the service of the tabernacle, which was strictly forbidden and a, and a, a practice that was usually associated with idol worship. Like it's possible that they may have been engaging in some idol worship even as priests, but the Bible doesn't come out and say that for sure. These were some bad dudes, right? Like these these are not the kind of priests you want to be dealing with. And and even after reports come to Eli that all this is happening from from all over town, all he does is give them a lecture. Like he just lectures them, and then he and then he tries to reason with them by saying, in First uh, Samuel two twenty three twenty five, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. For some sin, for if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? But Eli, who was very old at this point, allows his sons, after this kind of rebuke, to just kind of brush them off and continue on in, in, in this completely disgraceful behavior. And, and while all these things are going on, another son was born. Another son was born. One that would change Eli's world forever. Backtrack to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, we, we, uh, we meet a lady named Hannah. And Hannah was the wife of Elkanah, and he loved her deeply, but Hannah was unable to have children. And because of that fact, the Bible, uh, it, uh, the Bible actually says that the Lord had closed up her womb, so probably because of that fact, Elkanah had another wife as well named Peninnah. I know that sounds like something you would order at Panera Bread, but it's, it's her name. So let's be, let's be gracious, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, Peninnah, was able, Peninnah was able to have children, but out of jealousy of Elkanah's deep affection for Hannah. Peninnah used to provoke and torment Hannah constantly. And Hannah lived like that for year after year after year. And every year Elkanah would go to Shiloh where Eli and his sons were to make sacrifices to the Lord. And he would bring both of his wives. And one night when it became all too much for Hannah to bear, she found her way into the tent of meeting where Eli was. And she was sobbing and so emotional and distraught that Eli actually thought she might be drunk, like, just like a drunk woman. And, and, but Hannah made a sincere vow to the Lord right then and there in 1 Samuel 1 11, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me not, and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... And I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And after this, Eli sees the sincerity of Hannah's vow and says in verse 17, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Little did Eli know that that moment was the beginning of a shift in his life. Hannah, shortly after this encounter, shortly after this encounter with Eli, becomes pregnant with Elkanah's son, and, and they name him Samuel, which means name of God or possibly offspring of God. Samuel bore the name of God who gave him to Hannah. Over a year goes by and Hannah makes good on her vow to the Lord. She brings Samuel up to Shiloh where where she had cried out to the Lord before Eli to open up her womb. But this time she brings God's answer to her prayer. And in the presence of, she presents Samuel to Eli and says in verse 26 and 28, Oh my Lord. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And chapter 2 of 1 Samuel begins with Hannah exalting the Lord with this beautiful beautiful prayer that foreshadows in a way Mary's prayer in the New Testament after she finds out she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And I won't read the whole thing, but I highly, highly recommend you take some time this week and read through this whole thing because uh, this prayer of thanksgiving is so beautiful. And, and But I just want to read you one small passage from from this prayer, and it's Uh, Verses 7 and 8 in in, uh, chapter 2, it says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he sets the world. So beautiful. I love how she's just like declaring unashamedly the faithfulness of the Lord. I love that. Hannah left Samuel with Eli there at the temple, and Samuel grew in knowledge and the favor of the Lord. And I find the verse right after Hannah's prayer, really interesting. It's a really interesting verse. It jumped off the page at me. Um, And and it's this. In, In verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. Elkanah is Samuel's son, and Ramah is where they lived. And then this is the part. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. It doesn't say ministering in the presence of the Lord with Eli. It says, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Samuel was ministering to the Lord, while Eli was allowing his sons to hinder the, Israelite, the Israelites' worship of the Lord. Let's just pause right there for a moment and reflect on that, because God's heart was grieved by the atrocious acts and dishonorable ways that Eli's sons were treating the offerings of the Israelites. And you have Samuel, who is quite literally, literally a living offering to the Lord. Hannah vowed to the Lord that, he would op- that if he would open her womb and grant her a son, she would give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. A living offering in the face of Eli's disgrace. I don't know if Eli had just lost all hope that his sons could change, or if he figured he was just too old to deal with this kind of drama, or... I don't, know, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but for some reason, after confronting them and telling them what was going to happen if they continued this behavior, Eli chooses to just let it go and not address it again, which, the Lord's, which in the Lord's eyes makes Eli himself guilty too. Eli blows it big time by choosing to ignore his son's behavior. Remember a few weeks back when I spoke on parenting and we talked about Proverbs 13, 24. And whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is a prime example of that, right? And and here is Samuel, a living offering, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, who is a priest. So, what happens next? Well, the sins of Eli's sons grow deeper. And a trusted person who, in the Bible, who the Bible tells us was a man of God, brings a prophecy that God has rejected the house of Eli. It's actually a pretty gnarly prophecy. It, it like, talks about how the one person in Eli's lineage is going to be left to basically just, like, cry their eyes out for the rest of their life. Like, it's a serious, like, Gnarly prophecy. And and like, it's just super intense. And if you're paying attention throughout these scriptures, you see this give and take throughout these scriptures of Eli's sons going deeper into their dishonor of the Lord. And Eli growing more and more indifferent to it. And Samuel growing in favor and in, pre- in the presence of the Lord. Both sides of this give and take are about to come to a head real quick. So we pick up this account in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I've asked my friend uh, Rochelle to come read this for us. So Rochelle, would you join, join me in, and, uh, and read this for us as we read together?
0: Thank you. So 1 Samuel chapter 3 reads... Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and now the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose sight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Then the Lord Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call Lie down again. But he said, uh, sorry. And the Lord called again to Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you should say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other names, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. He did great. That was a good job. Thank you. You're like a pro-reader. Now, A couple of things I want to just point out to you in this in this chapter is that verse one starts with that phrase. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, ministering to the Lord. Right, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, which means that because of the disgrace, the Lord just really wasn't wasn't speaking much, and and. Uh, Later on, when, when the Lord begins to call Samuel, and, and Eli's like any parent, like, oh, I'm trying to sleep. You know, leave me alone, you know. <laughs> like, and finally, Eli realizes what's going on, and he goes back, and he says, lay down. And, and if you hear it again, say, speak, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord comes and calls Samuel again. And if you notice, he says his name twice. Samuel. Samuel. Just as in other times, the Bible says, which is other times meaning like there were other famous people within the scriptures, Moses, Abraham, where the Lord called out their name twice. And and Eli, the Lord, speaks this really difficult word to Samuel. Can you imagine being Samuel and like the person who's like your caretaker you're gonna tell them that the Lord is basically gonna destroy their family. Like, can you imagine that, that word being a young boy and having to deliver that word? And then I love, I love Eli at the end of this segment and he's like, he gets the news and he's just like, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Let him do what he sees as well, Is good. So, so you might be sitting there thinking like, what does any of this have to do with what we're talking about right now? Like, I, I thought we were talking about relationships, right? And, 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 and we are talking about relationships. That would be right. Uh, actually, today we're closing out this sermon series, The Struggle is Real. And throughout this series, we've been addressing all kinds of different relationships. We've been talking about the struggle within betrayal, or the struggle in singleness or marriage or parenting and we've covered ground on family dysfunction and and Mark brought an incredibly powerful word last week on uh, the struggle people can feel when their family is incomplete, whether that's due to loss or to wanting to have a child, or just the general feeling of their family being incomplete. And it was a powerful word. We've covered all different types of relationships, because relationships they're just hard. They're just hard. It's one of the hardest things we have to navigate on this earth are our relationships. And, and, but one relationship that we haven't touched on yet is maybe the most important relationship, and that's our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. And when I look at, the hit, when I look at this story that we've just spent time overviewing, Uh, the story of Hannah and Samuel and Eli and his sons, I can't help but ask myself the question, what kind of living offering am I? Does that resonate with anybody else but me? What kind of living offering am I? Because if you call yourself a Christian, you are a living offering to the Lord. What kind of offering are we presenting to the Lord? Maybe you're like Eli's sons, and you wear the label of believer and attend church on Sunday, but when it comes time to honor the Lord, you become selfish and greedy, and before you know it, you end up so deep in sin that change seems impossible, And maybe you don't even want to change. You're fine with going through the motions of religion, but on the inside, you don't even really know God. If this is you, I want to say that it's not too late. It's not too late, but nobody can make the change for you. Not your mom, not your spouse, not your pastor. You need to want to make the change. Like Michael Jackson says, make that change, right? You need to want to make the change. Do you want things to stay the same? Or do you want to present yourself as a pleasing, living offering to God? The work has already been done on the cross. All you have to do is accept it and live it. Or maybe you're like Hannah, crying out to the Lord in your agony year after year, taunted by those around you. I want to say to you, the Lord hears you. He sees you in your distress, and we can read how Hannah's story unfolds in a matter of minutes, but it actually played out over the course of years. Your story hasn't completely unfolded yet. It is in the process of unfolding. The Lord hears you. Just continue to seek Him and I guarantee you will find Him faithful. Amen? And on that day, you will declare your own prayer of the Lord's faithfulness much like Hannah did. Just keep Presenting yourself as an offering to the Lord. Your offering and your prayers don't fall on deaf ears, I promise. Or maybe you can relate more to Eli. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and and the fire has gone out, so to speak. Uh, You've become apathetic in your relationship with God and and with others around you, and you're not really hot or cold in your relationship with God, you're just kind of lukewarm, and the drama around you seems a little too much to deal with at this point in life, and rather than engaging in it, you're kind of just waiting it out. I want to say to you that there is still work to be done. You have value to the Lord. And unlike it was with Eli, it's not too late. It's not too late. Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and there is no sin so great that the blood of Jesus can't wash it away. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, God gave us access to a clean slate, but He won't force us to choose it. We have to make the choice. To the Elis in the room, there is still work to be done. We need you, much like Samuel needed Eli. See, if Eli got anything right, and he messed up a lot, if he got anything right, he got his relationship with Samuel right. Samuel heard the voice of the Lord, but he had no clue what was going on until Eli taught him. We need you. We need you to take the next generation by the hand and disciple them. Eli was a good man who let apathy get the better of him, but he helped Samuel identify his calling from the Lord. If if you resonate with Eli, I want you to know that if you have air in your lungs and a beat in your heart, The Lord hasn't finished with you yet. And the Samuels of this generation, they need you. They need you. Revelations 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Do not present yourself as a lukewarm offering to the Lord any longer. As the, as the worship team comes back up today, I, just, I want to say just a couple of more things and then we're going to open it up for a time of prayer. So if my leadership team would be prepared to come and pray with those who want to pray, that would be amazing. But even though sometimes it's a struggle, keeping our relationship with God in its proper place among all the other relationships that we have in our lives... It's such an unbelievably crucial step because when we are in right relationship with God, it will show up in all of our other relationships. Taking care of your relationship with God will help you be a better parent It will help you know what to look for in a spouse. Honoring your relationship with God rightly will help you in your marriage and through the sting of betrayal. When it comes to God, when it comes to our relationship with God, I feel like sometimes things can get overcomplicated really quickly. I feel like We as believers actually can learn a lot from the obedience of little Samuel. Maybe our relationship with the Lord can just be as simple as waking up every day and saying to the Lord, Here I am. Here I am. What are we going to do today, God? How can I partner with what you're doing today? And then being obedient to our calling. Nothing more, nothing less. When we fail, we ask forgiveness and try again. I have to admit, guys, I have been found more like some of the other people in this account in my life than I have been Samuel. I'm just being real. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's pride or greed, or just plain selfishness, but it's time for us to stop overcomplicating our relationship with God. What kind of living offering are you presenting to the Lord? Are you ministering to the Lord or are you just going through the motions? If you're at all sensing The Lord on this word for you, like like I am for myself. I feel like we just need to stop right here and now and just repent together. Just pray together and ask forgiveness. So I want to move into a time of prayer. And so we're going to open up the front two rows. If you would like to pray with someone, if you need support in any way, you need somebody to listen. Whether you feel like one of these people in this account or you don't resonate with any of it but you have other stuff going on in your life, we're a family and we support each other and we pray for each other and we confess to each other and we repent together. That's what family does. And so I'm just going to be sitting down here along with some of my leaders. Let's enter a time of prayer. Chris, would you, just, would you just spend some time just worshiping? Like not what you have planned, but just worship the song that God has put in your heart right now, and we'll get to your plan later. Would you come and pray? Or pray where you're at. Grab somebody's hand that you came with and pray together. Would you pray with us?
0: You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.